Green means go. Hey, so uh, before I jump into our last installment of Heaven uh, Who Goes There, I wanted to let you know if you are interested in that short-term mission trip to Columbia, today is your informational meeting right after this uh, service right out in the commons area. Chris Cheek will meet you guys out there. And so hope that you will take advantage of that and get any questions that you have answered there. Um, so as we kind of wrap up this series uh, about heaven, um, I, I was telling the folks in Cozad, which I just wanted to let you know and wanted to welcome all of you who are in Cozad uh, watching right now. But uh, the first service over there was packed like uh, Christmas Eve packed. Um, it was really, really cool. Um, <clears throat> but uh, here's what's interesting. Today's going to be a little bit different. Usually, I will take a scripture, uh, just a handful of scriptures, and, and we'll just roll around in that for about a half hour and hopefully come out with one point uh, that is a practical thing that you can apply to your life. That's usually what, what we do. Today is different. In fact, some of you love that. Some of you don't. Some of you uh, uh, like lots and lots and lots of scripture, and that, that's great. Um, I just usually am afraid I'm going to get you lost uh, in that much scripture. But if that's you, you're going to love today because we're going to have lots and lots of scripture. But this is kind of what I wanted to do is I wanted to, to just answer some questions uh, about salvation that maybe uh, you have asked or maybe you've wondered about. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, through today, uh, I will touch on a question that maybe you have asked. And so here's the ones that we're going to deal with today. If I don't touch one that you do have, uh, I'd love it if you would email it to me or text it to me, uh, let someone know and uh, to let me know. And, and if I don't know the answer, I'll go looking for it. Uh, but today we're going to talk about what unites us to Christ, what is the role of rules, why be good if, if, if you know, if being good enough doesn't get us to heaven, then why in the world would we ever want to just be good? And what about baptism, you know, and, uh, and, and, and how does that uh, tie in? And so this last week, my brother sent me this, uh, this quote, and, and I was like, man, it was so good. I did, did something I don't normally do. I put it on Facebook and, uh, and because I just could imagine Jesus hanging on the cross next to this uh, thief who wasn't just an average thief. This guy was so bad that, that he wasn't even good enough uh, that they could trust him to row a, a Roman galley. Uh, the best thing that they could do for society is put him to death. And so he's being crucified next to Jesus, and, uh, and, and he expresses his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. And then Jesus tells him that he's going to see him that day in paradise. And I could just imagine that Jesus is looking all the way into the future, knowing what we would do, that we would, that, you know, he just, his, he messes with all of our theology. Because the thief on the cross, he really does, he messes up everybody's uh, theology. And so I just wanted to, to, to talk about this, to kind of mess with you a little bit as we get going. How does the thief on the cross fit into your theology? No baptism, no communion, no confirmation, no speaking in tongues, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no financial gifts, no church clothes, 
He couldn't even bend his knee to pray. He didn't say a sinner's prayer. Baptist background that I have right there, like, what? Among the other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite his scoffers, yet it was a thief who walked into paradise the same hour as Jesus simply by believing he had nothing more to offer other than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. The thief messes with a lot of people's theology. So as we kind of jump in, what is it that unites us to Christ? What, what is it that makes us right with him? What, what is it that, uh, that makes us, you know, meet the standard to let us into heaven? And, uh, and so the last couple of weeks, we've been talking heavy about this, and, uh, and, and Paul just, uh, the book of Romans is Christian theology. If you're wondering where to go find Christian theology, Romans is the book that you want to go find. And so open your library, the Bible, and, uh, and go to the book of Romans, and you read through that. And uh, you cannot read through the book of Romans and walk away and say that faith is the only thing that unites us to Christ. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. In verse 15, and here's what I would love for you to do. If you have your paper Bibles, try to stay along with us. Uh, I almost didn't put any of the verses on the screen, but it was like, I, I was afraid I was going to lose you, so I have them on the screen. If you don't have your paper Bibles, I would encourage you to open up your Version app on your phone. Try not to make it over to Candy Crush to stay on Version. And, uh, and, and then we'll try and navigate through because we're going we're gonna to cover some verses. Most of them are in the book of Romans, okay? So in Romans chapter 1, verse 15, it says, So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. What's the good news? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. You may have heard, the, you know, the good news of the gospel. And you're like, I have no idea what that means. So I'm going to explain it to you in just a second. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I want to know this good news then, because if this good news tells me how to be right in God's sight, I want to know what it is. This is accomplished from start to finish. What is accomplished? This good news of how we are made right with Christ, it is accomplished from start to finish. In other words, there isn't this plus. It isn't this plus. It is just this. Well, what is it, Paul? Faith. It is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It isn't Jesus plus. It isn't faith plus. It is simply faith that Jesus is who he said he was. So faith is believing that Jesus is who he said he was and that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. If someone asks you what the gospel is, now you know what it is. The gospel in its, in its purest form is that Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. That is the gospel in its purest 
form. And, and the, the results of this, the, the magnitude of the weight of this, the application of the truth of this is staggering. We talk about it week in and week out and week in and week out. So uh, Paul kind of explains this very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. There it is again. I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So what Paul is saying is like, look, this good news is the good news that saves you. Unless, of course, you didn't actually believe that. That's kind of like growing up Baptist and someone said the sinner's prayer, but they didn't actually believe it. They just said some words. They're like, well, that didn't save you because you, you, you didn't actually believe it. It's the believing, it's the faith. It's not just reciting some words that has anything to do with salvation. It is actually the, the, the faith, the expression of faith, the expression of belief. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ, here we go, died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. There's the gospel. He died. How do you know he died? What do you do with someone who dies? He was buried. How do you know he died? Well, he buried him. And if he wasn't dead, he was after they buried him. And he was raised from the dead. Okay? That's the good news. Faith is what unites us to Christ, not works. And we talked about this the last couple of weeks, but I just wanted to, to visit one more set of verses that's just so clear uh, I wanted to cover, and we're going to go back to the book of Romans in chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? Well, this is what he discovered. If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his, oh, there we go again, his works? No. His baptism? No. What was it? It's faith. Faith is what united even Abraham to God. Okay? lest he could boast about it. And, and here's the thing, you know, it had nothing to do with being good and, and, and boast about it. It's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm really pretty good. And if you think you're good enough that you can go to heaven, then you're going to think that you're better than someone else. And, and God's like, that's not really God's way. This is a reflection in the mirror that <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. Uh, this was a complete gift apart from me. It was just simply given to me. Romans chapter 4, verse 133. When people work, their wages are not a gift. 
right? But something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their, there it is again, faith in God who forgives sinners. All of you who have a job, when you work your 40 hours, 50 hours, some of you 80 hours, crazy, your 100 hours, you're going, you're going nuts. At the end of your, of your work week and you get paid, do you think, gosh, this was a gift from my employer? No, right? You're like, I earned this. I worked really hard for this. He's just paying me what they owe me. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Look, if you think you can work your way to heaven, then you're going to think that you can earn it. And when you think you earn it, you think you're actually better than someone else, but you can't actually earn it. It comes through faith. Okay? So faith is what unites us to Christ. Romans is so clear on that. All right, so what is the role of rules? What, what's, what's, the, what's the deal with rules? Why do we gotta have rules? Rules just ruin everything, right? I mean, what do we gotta have rules for? Well, the first thing that you gotta understand about rules is relationship preceded the rules. So the, probably the best example of, of this is, you know, when, when Jen and I started having kids, we didn't have, a, you know, a bunch of rules. We didn't look at each other and say, gosh, we've got amazing rules. But we don't have any kids, so we should have some kids for our rules. <laughs> what? It's like, yeah, we got outstanding rules, but we don't have any kids. We need some kids for our rules. No, right? We, we had some kids, and we, since we had some kids and we have a relationship with our kids and we want to maintain a relationship with our kids and we love our kids, we came up with some, good, some rules, hopefully some good ones, because we love them and relationship preceded that. In the same way, a relation, God established a relationship with the nation of Israel first and then the rules came. You look at when, when, you know, Moses' interaction with the nation of Israel when, when they took him out of Egypt, and what was the last thing that God said, hey, this is what I want you to do, just trust me, which the foundation of every relationship is, oh, everyone's, you've been to marriage counseling, that's good. Okay, so it's trust, right? Okay, so he's like, what? I want you to put the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. Why in the world would we do something stupid like that? Trust me. I want you to trust me. And so they did. And then he took them out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, right, and into the wilderness. And it wasn't even until they were in the wilderness that God said, hey, now I'm going to give you a set of rules. Now, we look at the rules in the Old Testament like, oh, they're so archaic, and you're kind of like, they're like, what in the world? But here's the thing. This was the first time in civilization where there was a law. There was no rules. Can you imagine living where there was no rules whatsoever? It was chaos. And so I, I, I can't emphasize enough that 
We, we can't understand it because we've always lived with rules, but they didn't have any. It was the first time that a civilization had a set of rules of this is right and this is wrong. You should not do this. You should do this. They were so ahead of their time. Other countries actually took centuries for them to catch up to the nation of Israel because of the law. So why was the law given? Here's, here's some reasons why we have the role of rules. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, and we're going to kind of stay in the book of Romans now. So God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. You're like, what? What does that even mean? So Paul explains it further in chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. It was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. Like, I, I, I had no idea that coveting was wrong, but then I read this law that said, thou shalt not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. So here's what Paul is saying. He's like, the law is good. Not coveting is good. Not, not being jealous of your neighbor's stuff, not being jealous of your neighbor's house, you know, the car they drive, the, the clothes they wear, the places they're able to go on vacation and you're not able to go, that, that it is good not to covet because a, a society that just covets one another is actually jealous of one another, that ends up being angry with one another, that ends up not liking one another, that ends up having chaos with one another. So the law is good. But when the law came along and said, thou shalt not covet, it's the same thing. It brought something, it brings something inside of us. This sin nature takes advantage of it and begins to deceive us. It's like telling your children, don't touch the TV, or telling me right now, Eric, don't touch that TV. <laughs> ah, but now that you told me not to, I'm going to touch it, Right? You tell your kids don't do something, what is it they want to do now? Do it. What is that? Sin nature. See, that's why you don't need a do-over. That's why you don't need a second chance. That's why you and I, we need a savior. The law points out this thing that's in us that's like, ooh. It's not the law itself. I mean, we want to say, oh, no, no, the law, that's just, oh, that's so overbearing. But that, really, that's not it. That's not it. It's what, you know, the fact that we can't do something now that we want to do. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. All of a sudden, I wanted to do something that I was told I couldn't do. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, I mean, the, the law was good. It was supposed to bring life. It actually brought spiritual death because this, it rose this sin nature in me and made me want to do the exact opposite of what was good. 
Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. So what are the role of rules? Well, first of all, relationship precedes the rules. One, one caveat, free parenting advice. Rules without relationship will lead your children to rebellion. Some of you grew up in legalistic homes and the rules were more important than the relationship. In fact, some of you can't believe you're still in church. Some of you might just be coming back to church because you were in legalistic situations. Relationship must precede the rules. Rules tell us the boundaries. So in other words, God's just like, hey, I want you to have freedom. I want you to live in freedom. I'm going to just mark out the playing field. Inside the playing field, you have all kinds of of freedom to to maneuver inside the playing field, but I'm going to give you some boundaries because if you go beyond the boundary, I put a boundary there because if you go beyond that, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt some other people. You just need to know that, and I love you, and I don't want that to happen to you, so I'm giving you some boundaries. So rules tell us where the boundaries are. Rules also place a mirror on our sinful pride. The minute someone tells you not to do something, there is something that rises up in you and it rises up in me that just says, you can't tell me what to do, I will do it. What is that? Ugh. So the law is a mirror back to us saying, you know what? I can't follow the law as much as I want to try. I just can't do it. I see that, that sign that says 65, and I think 69, right? Am I the only one? You're like, no, pastor, I actually go 71 because that 71, that's the... What is it? I'm just telling you, it's why we need a Savior. It's why being good enough, is, it, it all breaks down. So, speaking of being good, if being good enough doesn't get us to heaven, then why, why be good? Why, I mean, if God is just going to forgive us anyway, why not just live off the rails because God's going to forgive us? So why be good? If we don't have to be good enough to get to heaven, why be good? And it's almost like Paul, when he was explaining this, he's like, yeah, they're going to be like, so why be good? Why not just take advantage of God's grace? So he actually addresses it in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? (laughs) Of course not. If we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So he's talking about this transaction that happens when we place our faith in Christ. When we place our faith in Christ, we move from this kingdom of self, I'm building my kingdom for me, and and all of a sudden I'm placed into a new kingdom, a a, a new uh, country, a new citizenship, the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, I no longer live for me, but I live for others. 
I've, it's an others first kingdom. Well, it's hard to live for others without doing good. With, you know, if I'm just going to be selfish, it's hard to live in the kingdom of God being selfish. He goes on. He explains it further. Sin is no longer your master. In other words, when you're just, you know, it's the kingdom of self, then sin's your master. And whenever sin says, hey, you need to go and snort that, smoke that, drink that, look at that, go out with them, definitely call them back. Oh, yeah, yeah, do that. Go over there. Even though your parents said no, they didn't really mean no. Go ahead and go on over there and do this, do that, and do the other thing. And, and you know, when it's the kingdom of self, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, wherever I want to do it, with whoever I want to do it with. Thank you very much. Sin no longer is your master. When it calls, you don't have to obey it. That's what he's saying. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. You no longer live under the requirements of the law. In other words, you don't have to be good now because you have to. You can be good because you want to. That is a huge difference. Some of you, you have walked away from church and religion because you thought it was a set of rules that you had to follow. And Jesus comes along and he throws that all out and says, look, you, you are no longer under the requirements of the law. I don't want you to follow me because you have to. I want you to follow me because you want to. Grace compels me. I just can't help it because I love him to do what is right. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we go on sinning? Oh, of course not. Okay? So why be good? Well, first of all, because sin kills things. Sin kills all kinds of, it kills relationships, it kills the relationship with your kids, with your parents, with your siblings, with your cousins, with your coworkers. It kills us physically. I mean, it comes prepackaged with a penalty. It causes all kinds of chaos in our life. Wherever there's sin, it, it kills something. Living out Jesus' values brings life. See, when you bring Jesus' values into a school system, into a, a civil system, into a family system, when you bring Jesus' values into a society that puts other people first, that that comes along and says, hey, I, I'm going to tell you how not to be jealous. I'm going to teach you how not to, to, to be anger, to be angry and how to deal with it when you are angry. And I'm going to teach you how to be patient. I'm going to teach you how to be forgiving. I'm going to teach you how to be kind. I'm going to teach you how to, to be faithful. I'm going to teach you how to be trustworthy. I'm going to teach you how to be honest. See, everyone wants to live in that society because that's an awesome society. So living out Jesus' values brings life to you and to everyone else around you. And at the end of the day, love 
is the proper motivation. Not because I have to, but because I want to, because I am compelled by God's grace, and I love Jesus, so I want to. Okay, what about baptism? Oh, this is a big one. And so I'm just going to acknowledge right up front, the crossing is filled with every type of background known to man. I, I mean, we have Catholic to Baptist, so that's about two ends of the spectrum right there, okay, and everything in between. And, uh, and there's a lot of emotion around this word, and you just need to know, in the first century, there was not emotion around this word. This was a, this was a very common word in the Greek language. It was just baptizo. And baptizo means to, to, to dip or to dunk. In fact, there's actually a, uh, a, a recipe that has uh, survived antiquity, a, a recipe from the first century of how to make pickles. And, and in the pickle recipe, it says to baptize the cucumber into the chemicals, Like, the, the cucumber got baptized. And we're like, what? See, it was just a common word. We, we have wrapped all kinds of emotion around this. So this is the best way that I know how to describe uh, baptism. Baptism is, is an unbelievably powerful, vivid uh, 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 explanation of uh, imagery of what happens when we move from the kingdom of self into the kingdom of God. When we, when we are united with Christ in faith, this transaction that happens, uh, baptism is a beautiful, powerful picture of what happens in that transaction. So uh, another way to describe it would be when you got married, um, you probably put a ring on your ring finger, right? Now, I, I am married, but I don't have a ring on my ring finger because my ring tried to take this finger off twice. And uh, the last time, I'm like, that's it. That thing's coming off before my finger comes off. And, uh, and I just have not replaced it. But, but the ring doesn't make the marriage. It's not like, and thou, you know, and I, I thee wed, and the, the ring makes the marriage. The ring doesn't make the marriage. The ring is a, is a, it's a powerful reminder of what? Of the vows that you took that make the marriage. And so the ring is just simply a reminder of it. That's what baptism is to salvation. And Paul explains it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Jesus Christ, in baptism, we joined him in his death. Now watch what happens here. This is going to look very familiar. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. What's the gospel? That Jesus was, he died was buried, and he what? Rose from the dead. There's the gospel. So baptism is this beautiful picture of what happens when we're united with Christ in faith. And when we are 
put someone underwater, it's a tomb. You know why it's a tomb? Because if you leave them there, it becomes a tomb, right? They would die. And it's a picture of them dying to that old self. They're under the water. It's, it, it is, it's a picture of death. It is a picture of being buried. And then when they raise up out of, out of the water, they are raised to new life. They are born again. Out of the tomb, from the dead, born again to this new life. What is this new life? This new life in the kingdom of God. And the transaction of I'm paying for my own sins to now Jesus has paid my sin for me. He goes on. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So this beautiful picture of this transaction that happens when we place our faith in Christ, when we are united with Christ in faith, that the power of sin is broken in our lives. It's no longer our master. It no longer is our boss. It no longer has the power to tell us what to do. And now we can live this new life in Christ. Baptism is a beautiful picture of that. In fact, in March, we're going to get to watch some baptisms. And it's going to be amazing. And we should celebrate. And we should go wild over watching someone be baptized. Because it is a powerful, powerful picture of what happens when someone places their faith in Jesus Christ. So what about baptism? Faith unites us to Christ. Baptism is a public display of that faith. Baptism is a vivid reminder of what happened at salvation. So crossing, that's why we're on this mission. We're on this mission to see people meet Jesus. How do they meet him? By placing their faith in him. They're united to Christ by faith. They meet him. They accept him. That's what we're talking about. When we want to see people meet Jesus, that's what we're talking about. We want to see them saved by faith, by grace, through faith. Follow, learning how to be good, not because they have to, but because they want to. Learning Jesus' values that, that will make their life so much better. And we put love in here because we don't, this is the, this is the motivation for, for following Jesus. It isn't because we have to, but the invitation is because we want to. And I'm just telling you, Crossing, here's the thing. Those of you in COZAD, come back. If you're, if, if you're looking away, come, come back. We live in a culture that doesn't like the church, and maybe deservedly so. When you talk church in your circles, I would imagine it doesn't come with a positive tone. 
And I think maybe the reason for that is because we have not done a really good job of presenting the gospel Jesus style. Because people who were nothing like Jesus liked him. And Jesus liked people that were nothing like him. And then teaching people what it means to to follow Jesus, their life gets better. Because as they enact Jesus' values, they learn what they look like, and maybe they've never had the context of what they look like, so they're, they're, they like fall down and get back up and fall down, and, and slowly they're learning how to enact Jesus' values into their family systems and into the, outside the family systems, and, and it's getting better. It's not perfect, but it's getting better over time, and some of us that have followed Jesus for a long time, we forget how raw and rough we were at one time in our life. Because following Jesus will make you better at life. And when you're better at life, your life is gonna get better. But this is a mission that involves all of us. It's not just, oh, good job, pastor, you're, you're on the mission, we'll support you, you go get it. No, no. It's all of us together on this mission. Because they're just telling you, this, this is extraordinary. It's a crossing. Let's get after it. As we present the gospel to people and see them united with their heavenly father, it's an incredible thing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Jesus, oh, thank you for your grace. We're so undeserving. We're so grateful for it. And we surrender our lives to you, and we just express our love to you. Pray that you would just lead us and help us to follow your lead. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to lay in bed at night and not have to have any anxiety, any worry about whether I've been good enough, and I don't know. And that just causes all kinds of inward chaos in me. But I can just rest in peace that you've taken care of it. And I trust you. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.